Welcome to Survival of the Wittiest, where I sit down with the funniest people I know and discuss how comedy has shaped their lives. I'm Teresa Clouse. Pour yourself a drink, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Survival of the Wittiest. I'm your host, Teresa Clouse. Fear not, winter is almost over, and my interview this week is sure to put a little spring in your step. He's a New York-based actor, a composer, and spent quite a few years as a clown with the internationally renowned Circus Smirkus. He's a dear friend who I've been honored to share the stage with, so pour yourself a drink and enjoy my conversation with Jacob Tischler. Who makes the move spend all your days dating for that something sincere while your past recalls all you've messed up? Who makes the move waste all your weeks waiting for that something peculiar and clear and as simple as wine in a cup? Why do I care way too much? Stare but don't touch Around we spin Till someone decides to begin So I always ask people what they would like to drink But I've never quite had this response yet You never? Well, of course you haven't Because I'm unique What? What did you want to drink today? I really want to drink a chocolate milk. Cheers. Just you wait. This interview is going to be so great. <laughs> Tell me where you grew up. Okay. I grew up in Vermont. Where? St. George, Vermont. Where's that? It's right outside of Burlington, wedged in between Hinesburg and Shelburne and Williston. Lots of good beer. No, not no? in St. George. You need to go to Burlington to get lots of good beer. And also, I wouldn't know because I don't drink. Why don't you drink? Because it's a very complicated story that's not really all that complicated. Okay, tell us. It's it's The short is, I've never wanted to. The long is, my younger brother started before me and I was like, that's illegal. You cannot do that. And then I got to college and I realized that I was the odd one out. But I was already working really, really hard. And... I like self-control, so I didn't try to do that. And then I moved to New York, and that's one of the most difficult things that one can do in life. And I was like, I better not start now either, or else I'm going to fall off the rails. What? Yeah. Is it religious, or it's just self-control? just self-control. And what happens if you have a beer? I've never had a beer. What, hap- what What do you think would happen, though? Oh, I don't think that the world would end. So it's this just is like, is it a game now? That. No, it's it's two things. First of all, I enjoy being afraid of alcohol. It's a safe space for me. Does that make sense? You have such a pained I'm expression so on, your, on your face. I'm so sad. Trust me, it's okay. I can function. See, I'm here right now. Well, yeah, you can function because you don't drink. Well. You're over-functioning. I'm hyper-functional? Yeah. Uh, possibly. 
Do you think you would ever want to drink ever in your life? I have considered if there is a person who I trust very, 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 very much that I would drink with them as long as they were able to like help me out. And by a person I trust very, 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 very much, I mean like a person I am deeply in love with. Like a priest. Not a priest. Now, there are plenty of people out there who are critics of me. There are plenty of people who... It's it's like a big deal. It's like, ooh, everybody, When whenever I tell them that I don't drink, everybody always asks why. And everybody always has their little two cents to say about it. And I honest, I don't think about it at all on my day-to-day. It's such a not part of my life you at this point You must save a lot time. of money. And I save a lot of money. And the only time the only time it sucks is when I go to the bar with my friends and I need to order some phony semblance of a drink. I really like virgin mojitos. Those are kind of a lifesaver. Um, but I order pineapple juice. I can get away with pineapple juice. But one time I tried to order chocolate milk and the bartender scoffed and said, hmm, the kiddos have all gone home. Which hurts. Well, that's a shitty thing to say. Yeah, but I'm drinking chocolate milk with you right now. This now makes house. sense. I don't think when you said that to me that I thought that. I just I just thought you were being funny. No, it's like I have two celebratory drinks. They are pineapple juice and they are chocolate milk. So when I achieve something and I need to like go out drinking, I will order a chocolate milk or a pineapple juice. Or if someone is generous and classy... Uh, sparkling apple cider. Mm. That's pretty good. Well, this is a celebratory drink, I have to say. I think so. (laughs) Wow. It's funny because we've known each other for a while, but I did not know that. I didn't think you did for some (laughs) reason. (laughs) I'm surprised that we didn't cover it, but yeah. Yep. Okay. That's what I do. (laughs) I like it. I accept this. I am sad because I do love to drink, but... The good news is I don't hold that against anyone. Right, yeah. That's how I am about life. Yeah. Whatever you want to do, I respect. Yeah. And vice versa, I'm sure. Yes. I would hope so. So you were born in Vermont, and where did you go to school? What was your childhood like? Um... I was in the public school system in Vermont. I went to Wilson Central School first because St. George doesn't have its own school. It's too small. It only has 600 people in it. So I went across the town line to Wilson, Vermont. And then when I graduated eighth grade, I moved to uh, the Champlain Valley Union High School and just kind of came up through the arts in both of those different respects. I was really, really lucky. They're fantastic districts. It's a fantastic, the Chittenden South Supervisory Union, currently run by Elaine Pinckney, unless that's changed in the past. But I just, I applaud them so much because they give their kids so much. I credit my entire foundation to my early beginnings in Vermont and the people that I met there. Al Myers was the music director slash producer of all the middle school shows and he never held back at all we took things incredibly seriously and incredibly professionally from grade six through eight Mm -hmm. and that continued on through high school too where i met 
Carl Recchia, who continues to be a mentor and a friend. He's my chorus teacher. I met Robin Fawcett, who continues to be a mentor and a friend. She was my acting teacher. Andy Miscavage, who um, he taught band, and I took his AP music theory course. So I experienced all three of these people, and they are pillars of my artistic foundation. Is this your Tony speech? Is this my Tony speech? I hope so. I mean, I I never hear about people's early foundation. Yeah. And the arts programs, all of this is, it's, it's such a like cliche thing to harp on, which makes me really, really sad because knowing what I received from these people and knowing where I am in my career, I'm having a successful career in the theater industry and that's pretty friggin' cool. I'm not winning Tonys. I'm by no yeah. means even close to winning Tonys, but... I am living. I'm I'm going to be employed for 9 out of the 12 months of this year. And I I honestly think it's a testament to those guys who started me. Yeah. They're all going to receive gift cards. They're all they receive gift cards from this They receive signed programs from this program and emails because they have requested to be on my mailing list. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> So your childhood was good. What about at home? Home was good. Home, I had mom and dad and Ethan. Ethan's my brother, 13 months younger than I am. We grew up on a hill. When my grandparents got old, we moved into their house, which was across the field from our house on the hill. So we just, the only, the only weird thing about that is that we moved right when I moved to college. So I didn't come home from my first year of college. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I've ever sort of come home since. Mm-hmm. But Vermont is home, if you can call a state that. It's mm-hmm. well within my heart. I just did a production up there, and it was like it was totally like a homecoming. I recognize these people. It's mm-hmm. very, very, very familiar. And where do you think you got your humor from? I actually had, uh, while I was doing Midsummer, a board member came up to me and asked in a very French accent that I'm not going to be able to replicate right now. Maybe you should try. Maybe I will. She said, are you a... F- no, that was not That it. was good, that was good, that was good. Are you a funny person? That was perfect. <laughs> no, that it was, was not. That was literally um, Beauty and the Beast. Right, but that's a terrible, that's a terrible French accent. You know that, right? Yeah. It was okay for them. Are, are, you French, uh, are you a French person? No, I'm not. Are you a funny <laughs> person? And I never like answering that question because then it calls attention to my humor and it makes me feel like I'm supposed to be funny. Mm-hmm. And if I'm supposed to be funny and I realize that the other person is not laughing, then I need to call that into question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> were your parents funny people? Was there laughter around the dinner table? I don't... Sorry, Mom and Dad. I don't remember there being like laughter i remember there being a lot of poignancy like a lot of we are so lucky to be where we are mm-hmm. um however both hill. sides on the hill <laughs> with the llamas maybe it was the llamas that made us really really mm-hmm. funny yeah. um i think both sides however there are different schools of humor that are associated with more the grandparents than the parents so Stokes Gentry, my mom's dad, had a very subtle 
specific kind of humor.、Mm-hmm. Where out of nowhere he would just say something, and a moment would pass, and then you'd realize the brilliance of what he'd said, and then you would never be able to forget it. And it was usually very witty, and again, a little poignant. It probably had like some meaning to it. Like this is not a a comedic example at all, but you can't catch a fish without a line in the water. Is something that he would just spring to his head, like he wouldn't come up with that, but he would have it. In his arsenal for、mm-hmm. some day, for some appropriate moment.、Um, on the other side of things, on my dad's family, there's a lot more. That's the Jewish side, and that humor is a little more loud, and also very, very welcoming. My grandfather to this day will break out into song and dance in front of me just for comedic effect, just to impress his wife or to make me laugh. And do you think those? Those theatrics are Jewish in nature. Who is to say? I've been criticized for being not Jewish enough in my past, so it it kind of makes me nervous to answer that question. But, but even just with the holidays and the reenactments, seems theatrical, right? Yes. So that's I mean, what Judaism, makes me wonder. Judaism, based on my、uh, honestly fundamental knowledge of. Of it and my not very involved upbringing in this in these traditions, it is a very presentational musical kind of elevated religion. You live in an elevated space. The language itself is very very musical. When you're doing your prayers for Hanukkah, you're doing your prayers for Passover. You learn to read the Torah, and there are intonations, variations in pitch. I don't want to. Compare it to Chinese, but that's kind of this a similar school of thought. I think.、Mm-hmm. Um, however, I can't. I guess I can't really claim a stake in any of that because I did not educate myself in. But、Hebrew. you were. But you were around, and that was your father's father. Father's father. Yeah. He was kind of breaking out in this physical humor. Yeah. I mean that that would make sense to me as I feel like you are a very physically funny person. You、that、use physical、sense. comedy yeah, a lot. That would make sense to me. I'm glad we're figuring this out right now. Oh, the other gigantic component of the physical comedy is the circus, which I saw when I was four. Okay. And my plastic mind at that point in time was just like,、mm-hmm, that's what I want to do. So when I was four, I mean Ryan Combs, Sam Brown. Josh Hack. These were the clowns that I was watching in the ring, and they were only fifteen, sixteen, seventeen at that point in time. But they're still iconic in my memory. And everything that I did in the ring when I was on tour from twenty twenty oh five to twenty oh nine, I would always be comparing my physical presence to what I had seen、wow. when I was a tiny person. You, and you only saw the circus once when you were younger, or did you go every year? Oh, I saw it every year. And it came the first time I saw it was when I was four. Yep, the circus,、uh, circus Mercus, was created in Vermont, in Greensboro, Vermont.、Um, this was its thirtieth anniversary, actually, and I saw it every single year because it toured locally and also around New England and a couple times in New York. Wow. Yep. And how old were you? When there was an audition to be the ringmaster, was that what you, you were a clown, not a ringmaster? I was a clown. I was one year. I was the robot ringmaster. 
which was more of a clown role than a ringmaster role. But I did go, I got to come out and do the uh, welcoming speech for everybody. Um, yeah, I I auditioned for the circus twice. I auditioned first in 2005, where I, oh man, I brutally miscalculated what a good circus audition was supposed to be. Please tell me. They asked me, oh man, they asked me to come in with what I did best. <laughs> you <laughs> Which were like, I not took that, drink. I, oh, that's what <laughs> I do best. <laughs> no, I took this very, very literally. So I came in and I sang a cappella, Luck Be a Lady Tonight, from Guys and Dolls. And how old were you? I was 14. Oh, okay. That's understandable. Is it? Yeah. I have not stopped receiving shit for that to this day. No, I totally get it. <laughs> 14 year old me would be doing the same stuff. I would be singing Sound of Music or whatever. Yep. <laughs> it was completely horrifying once I realized what I had done. So, what they really wanted was a circus trick. Well, yeah, it's a circus. <laughs> they were not auditioning musical theater. <laughs> So then what? So they were like, no, thank you. Yeah, they said, no, thank you. Um, What happened next was a little bit weird because the value of the company took a steep, steep dive. They almost went out of business. Um, They were just because their resources became too thin, spread out too widely. And so the next year, there was a big change in leadership. And the person who was the head coach at the camp, Circus Marcus Camp, summer camp, sleepaway camp, who had been there for seven years, he came on board as a new artistic director, so he was going to be creating the show. I came in with a very mediocre audition. It was a little mini circus, so I juggled a little bit. I spun clubs, and I did some devil sticks. And how did you learn how to do that? At Circus Mercus Camp. Okay. So like two weeks of official training every year. And you started going to that camp at what age? At eight. So I saw the show at four. I said, that's what I want to do. I need to wait half my life until I could actually get there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you had prepared this audition. Mm-hmm. I needed to submit my live video, which I had done the year before in order to sing Luck Be a Lady Tonight. I made another live video for this particular audition, got in off of that audition, and was under, his name was Jesse Dryden, um, great clown mentor for me. And I was under his direction for the next four years. Wow. Yep. But I didn't start off as a clown. I started off as a character. Because getting your red nose is a rite of passage in the circus. What character? Um, <laughs> my audition took six tries to do because technical difficulties happened all over the place. My music wouldn't start, and then my music wouldn't start, and then my mom tried to play the music on the boombox, and it wouldn't start, and then I actually broke a prop. So... My character in the circus was a translation of that event where I would wow. come on stage with a prop. I would about I would be about to do a really, really cool trick. And then another character would come along, take the prop and do an even much cooler trick than I what I was that, able to though. do. And my theme song was La Vida Loca. Love it. Yep. Ricky Martin. Yes, indeed. Loving it. <laughs> okay. So you started as a character and then you got promoted up to clown one day. How did mm-hmm. that happen? I think I proved myself in the ring the previous year. Um, so when we they recast the show uh, the next year, I was promoted to clown. I was one of two actors.
actual clowns and the rest of the clowns were wow. characters. It was a detective year, detective themed year. Um, zoot suit caper. So our job, the job of the main clowns was to find out who pied the ringmaster and me and my partner who were clowns in the circus were framed. So they were always coming after us. Oh my I mean, and how many months of the year would you be performing? Just, we had three weeks of creation in June. We'd have to take all of our final exams early in school so that we could head up to Greensboro, Vermont to do our three weeks of creation where we put the show together. And then we run for about seven weeks. Wow. Um, we do 70 shows in that time. So two shows a day, every single day. And yeah. And where did you sleep? We slept in homestays. So people would volunteer their houses to us and their cars, so we, they, we could uh, travel back and forth between the tent and their house. Wow. But uh, we were responsible for setting up our prop tent, so we would unload the truck, bring out all of our props, all of our backstage props, make sure they're in show order. Uh, we would s- set the ring rug, the ring curbs, make sure that there are no holes in the ground so that our unicyclist wouldn't fall and, or a, any gymnast wouldn't trip. Um, and yeah, and set out the bleacher pads as well. And we were responsible for uh, for picking up the trash after each show. Was there circus romance? Not for me. Because you weren't dating at that point. I wasn't dating at that point. Um, so no one... I had tons... Well, first of all, youth circus. So number one rule, absolutely no sex. If any of those troopers got pregnant... That would be a huge lawsuit on the circus, and we cannot take that risk. Um, of me being me, I probably took that a lot more seriously than everybody else who right, was everyone there. Everyone was like, just use a condom. Exactly. You but were like, no. I was like, I'm a virgin. Right. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I had a ton of crushes every single That's summer. That's what I was going to ask. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Tons of crushes all over the place. Never acted on any of them either because i was too scared or because someone else usurped me which happened by the same person twice (laughs) he was just like following behind you picking anybody up he was that you didn't approach yeah but you know now he's going to be married so that's good i actually really like him i got invited to his wedding i don't think i can go So at what point in your life did you realize I should do something if I have a crush on someone? Oh, God. Um, And what did you do to get their attention? I have no idea. No, that's an interesting thing that because, and I'm being critical of myself right now, one rather off-putting quality that I've had on myself up until very recently, is that the people I date come from the most available opportunity. And that stems from two things. One, me not knowing how to initiate that conversation. And the other is my own, what, insecurity. So what do you mean most available? Like, a a girl likes me. Oh, a girl likes me. So they I will, will learn reach a girl out to likes you me and, and I will, say, I like you. Yeah, and I'll be like, great, what are we going to do about it? Interesting. So only very recently have I started actually pursuing people that I think could be beneficial to me. And that sounds really terrible. But you know what I mean. Right. 
that people you like. That, people that I like, people that I hope I'm intimidated by, people who are smarter than me because that's where they got to be in order for me to be happy about it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And did you, do you, while you were working with the circus, did you feel secure in your abilities there? In, in life or? In your performing. Oh, yeah. Oh, very much so. I, basically from square one, I never had a doubt. It was just, the ring was completely my space. Obviously, I shared it with everybody else, but in terms of me, being me in that space, I own the crap out of it. Some of the best performance I've ever done in my entire life. I'm, do I have any stories? No, it's it's where I learned to be spontaneous, mm-hmm. right? Because people attribute clowning. Clowning gets a terrible rap these days. It's just like, be big, be loud. And the school of Smirkus is be subtle, be personal, and be truthful. So when I'm playing the big bad wolf, what his alter ego is, is is, is this tiny, he's a, he's a small, scared little person who is just disrupted all the time. And all he wants to do is be big and proud and loud. But, and that's a perfect fall for me because I feel like much of the time I'm very much the same way, mm-hmm. especially for tons of actors. We carry ourselves with bravado and inside, we're a little nervous. We're a little scared all the time, as we rightly should be. This is one hell of an industry. But being able to explore facets of humanity and bringing myself into these characters, like I don't move like the big bad wolf, but I understand him. There are elements of me that can be applied, just like there are elements of me that can be applied in almost every role that I try to do right now. Mm -hmm. You will always see shades of Jacob in every single role. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I totally learned in college because when I went to college, I I thought that clowning and acting were completely different schools of thought. Mm -hmm. And what happened was all of my acting went straight up into my head and I became like a sheep when I acted. My eyes would glaze over. I'd be thinking really hard. I'd make sure that I have each thought before I said each line. And then I would say the line. My body went completely dead. I did not come from an intuitive place at all. And through a combination of both my acting classes and my movement classes, we were able to blend those two. Mm-hmm. And I've came much more physically available and have it more of my body. And I guess to answer your initial question, that was never a question when I was in the ring because hmm. all I had was this physical instrument right. and I really knew what to do with it. I don't know where that intuition came from, but from an intuitive place, I could tell stories with just one little finger in the light of 800 people in a round. Like hmm. it was... Yeah, it's very empowering. And do you seek roles that are more physically demanding because you ha- are comfortable with that? I, I'm i at a weird place in my life right now where I can take on physically demanding roles, but I also need to acknowledge that sometimes the more physically demanding role is a safer space for right. me to be. So, like, I... Here's yeah. And by the way, when you were talking about big big bad wolf before, what was that in reference to? 
the, my final year of Smirkus, I played the Big Bad Wolf okay. and the fairy tale theme. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, I feel like physicality is what I do best, mm-hmm. which is a blessing and a curse because I want to be able to do everything. I want to be able to be alive on film and television. I want to be alive in a straight play. Um, but I need to acknowledge that dancing does come from an intuitional place, even though I haven't received the technical training that I probably should have at this point in my life if I was going for a career in like musical theater. Um, so I don't, I, it's hard to say that I seek them out because those opportunities, I'm still in an early point of my career where those opportunities are rare at best to come by. But I got my equity card doing, um, doing The Hound of the Baskervilles three actors, 20 some odd characters. Mm -hmm. That requires a lot of physical stamina, a lot of variation, diversity. We worked together on the 39 steps, which was one of the goofiest, untamable experiences that I've ever had. It was so much fun. I don't think I had been in a room with people as funny before then. Yeah. It was just a joy. It was, and I, a lot. I mean, I think that both you and Chris, who will be on another on a later episode, yeah, that's good news. Um, we're just, I had never seen that before. I had never seen physical comedy like that, and so spontaneous. And I mean, I don't, it, it just could have gone. On. It was like jazz improv, only it was <laughs> comedy improv that could just go on forever, and there were not even words being spoken. Yep, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, working with Chris was so easy too so easy we would be on the same page all the time and not ever wonder why that's why it does kind of interest me that i i feel like a lot of funny people get this mentality of like they don't yeah they care what other people think but there's a confidence involved and especially in in areas of like love there's a confidence that rolls over to that too of you know yeah saying what you want to say and the bravado and everything. So I guess that's what does kind of, I'm interested to find out about you that, that even though you have this major confidence in this area, it doesn't always apply there. No way. It's interesting. No, it doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I grew up relating to people by performing. Um, My parents would always videotape what I was doing and there's like there's videos and videos and videos so for my 18th birthday my parents created a little montage of tiny jacob performing for the video camera okay tons of footage for my brother's 18th birthday we tried to do the same thing and all it is is ethan in the shadow of my energetic stealing of the spotlight all the time imitating me or following up the the clearest the clearest moment there are two clear moments um one is he does something and then from off camera you hear me scream now it's my turn (laughs) another clear moment is one time we were at a family party or something i was probably five he was probably four the song uh i can't dance by genesis phil collins band comes on and I start doing my little rock robot dance that I've mastered at that point. I'm five years old and I'm owning the crap out of it. And then the song stops 
and I cry. I break down because suddenly the spotlight is gone and I run out of the frame and Ethan stands up and he offers his tiny little hand up and he says, would anybody like to dance with me? And that is the perfect metaphor for our growth patterns. (laughs) That is adorable. Yep. So even though it's funny, because at the beginning you were kind of like, well, I don't know where anything came from, but you were performing at a young age. Your parents were videotaping you. It was encouraged. Yeah, it was Not necessarily that they taught you, but, you know, they they gave you experiences for you to see what that looked like. That's also true. Yeah. That's interesting. I like it. Um, why do you think, do you feel like you have a funny perspective on life or a funny outlook? Um, I don't know because the more I investigate that and I'm investigating, I'm investigating that a lot right now based on a play that I'm writing, you run in, everybody thinks everything and I don't ever claim to have had an original thought Except for maybe something minor, like nobody said a weird sentence that I've said before. Like the duck quacked three times because the monkey split the mango. Maybe that's never been said before, but I can't credit myself with like having an original thought. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, My funny perspective on life is very much akin to like I can list all of the times recently that I've heard this, but it, it, it is, you're very temporary. What is the legacy that you're going to leave? More so than ever. I've been thinking about death quite a lot. And especially in year 26, oh my gosh, I could tell you this story, which is that last year during 39 Steps, I had a thought, a premonition that... I was going to die like completely dead within the year. Weird. Yep. While you were working with me. While I was working with you, I had a premonition that I was going to die. Was it me? It, no, it was not you. I was sitting in the kitchen of the barn and suddenly just whoom. Weird. Utter certainty. Do you know how? No. <laughs> but every time I went out on the road or stood near a subway station, there was like that little thought in the back of my head. Is this the day? Cause they gave me an entire year. Who's they? What the premonition. <laughs> <laughs> the people the who people, called me. Yeah. The people up there. They texted me. <laughs> exactly. They were like unsubscribe to stop these messages. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't unsubscribe. Oh man. Cause I was so fascinated by getting those messages. Yeah. Well. That was really, really weird. But it made me very attentive to how I managed myself. It made me very hard on myself when I mismanaged myself. Like if I spent a day watching Netflix, I'd be very, um, I would, I would exact discipline on myself in some manner. Like it was, it was odd. And I gave myself until August third of this year to release myself of that expectation, because August third is when we opened Thirty Nine Steps. I knew that I had it at some point during the rehearsal process. If I could make it through August 3rd, I could make it out alive. Wow. Mm-hmm. So your outlook is mainly <laughs> fear. Fear. No, 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 no. I mean, but yeah, it is. 
It's the same thing that's attributed to alcoholism. The, what sets it apart is that it's not debilitating. It's empowering. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's necessary for us to observe fear in that regard. Mm-hmm. Because if you let fear control you, rather than enabling it, rather than let it enable you, then yeah, then you are hindering yourself. Mm-hmm. You're hindering your potential and your wow. whatever possible is out there. Wow. One could say that I'm letting fear inhibit myself because I won't drink, but I know I can wield it in other ways. It's a preference. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's making it too light that it's a preference, but... No, it totally is. It's not neither here nor there. It's neither good nor bad. It just is what you want. Yeah, things happen. Do you ever think if you could, you would do a circus show again? So earlier this year, I was actually brought in by uh, Lindsay Levine at Tara Rubin Casting for the ringmaster of the Big Apple Circus. Now, there were two circuses in my life, Circus Mergus and Big Apple. It was It's the Big Apple's 40th anniversary this year. And the mere gesture of being reached out to in this regard was one of the most affirmative, beautiful, positive things that could have happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I walked into that audition room and there was Mark Lonergan He's a director, and I've seen his work previous. There was Joel Jeske. I've seen his work previous. And goddamn Barry Lubin, who is Grandma the Clown, who is the foundation of my funny as far as I'm concerned. Wow. And I got to do an improv with them. Like, I was seen as an equal just for those 10 minutes in an industry that I never even entered but technically left behind when I graduated college, when I graduated Circus Mercus. And that was, ah, what a crunchy, wonderful, gorgeous feeling of just being in that room with those people as a potential to their lives. Wow. Yeah. I could totally see myself going back. I totally don't think it's going to happen because I'm, I'm going down a road right now and it's not leading that way. And I feel like to get off that road right the now. The road to death. No, yeah, the road to death. <laughs> what road are you going down? Um, well, I just booked Greece and Toronto. Wow. Hopefully by the time this podcast airs, I'll be able to say that publicly. But, oh, we'll wait. Great. We'll wait till you can. It's got some movie stars attached to it. And it's got Josh Prince who choreographed. I know him. You we know, work together. You work, when did you work together? At Barrington. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's great. So he's great. I was his dance captain, which just goes <laughs> to show you how uneducated he was on my <laughs> dance skills. Well, I was like, are you sure there's no one else you want to do this? <laughs> funny. Did, did no. you actually say that or did you yeah. just like taking a run? Oh, you no, actually no. said that. Yeah, I was like, why? Why? <laughs> this is not going well if you need me to do this position. Whoops. But no, it was actually great, and it, he, he's really awesome. Good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I went in, and I had a fantastic blasty time in the audition room. I, I cold read twice, and then I booked the part. Is this another John Travolta role? This is not. I'm <gasps> very grateful for that. Wow. Leading a show is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be supporting my classmate, Dylan Schwartzwallach, who got the John Travolta role. Wow. Mm-hmm. Question. What are some things that the circus taught you? Um, Techniques, whatever you can kind of talk about. Um, 
Okay, so first, if we're talking about being in the ring, there are a couple schools of thought that I carry with me. One is you are inviting the audience into your living room all the time. This is always you welcoming them. And if they don't feel taken care of, they will notice. So I make sure all that, like when I was in the circus, I always did pre-show. I would always go out and say hi to everybody. And um, when I do that, I'm just Jacob in clown character makeup. But the persona that they're receiving is just Jacob. And I think that's really important. I think that when you walk into a theater, you need to be ready to engage. And that goes into the other part of what I learned in the circus, which is that whenever you're on stage, there should be a conversation happening. It can't just be you. Because if there's no conversation happening, then there's no viable perspective out in the audience. There has to be some element of you that is sharing at all times. If you're not sharing, if you're not having that conversation, then I guess that's selfish, right? Yeah. Yeah. So those are the things, and there are small technical things, like comedic timing, huge part of what I was, what I was doing in the circus. Clowning and timing is everything. What, what you do with your breath, you can make people laugh with how you breathe. And I'm not even talking like big, <laughs> like not gag breathing. I'm talking about like you hold your breath. And the release makes people giggle. Mm-hmm. So that you, you learn that there, you, you translate that into as many different things as you want. Um, what about working with a partner? Yeah. Well, more so than working with a partner, because we were all ensemble. We worked with everyone throughout. Like I was, I was used in juggling acts. I was used in perch acts. Rarely did I have a single partner. The only year that I had a partner was in 2000. Seven, uh, Eric Allen was my other clown in the Zutsu Caper. Mm-hmm. But in terms of working in an ensemble, I think that's a lot more valuable for me because to this day, and I keep, I keep wondering and wondering every single contract that I go through if they're going to break my expectation. But to this day, those kids that I toured with, these 10 to 18-year-olds, are the most professional people I've ever worked with for so many reasons they carry the show they carry each other they respect each other they are honest with each other um they work incredibly hard and they work within the rules of what's set in place you don't have anybody giving each other notes um it's a little more collaborative so if they are giving each other notes then it's in a respectful uh, you know, let's try to improve this moment sort of way rather than a patronizing sort of way. Um, they're engaging with the audience. They're representing the brand entirely from the moment they step foot onto the site to the moment they leave. And even with homestays, like you're trying to make a good impression on everybody. So you need to be on all the time. Where I am right now, that would take too much energy. I like being alone in like in my hotel room or in my apartment and not talking to anybody because I'm done with a facade when I leave the theater. But when you're touring, you need to be saying, oh, please, and thank you, 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 because everybody's giving you this opportunity. And they do that 
and they never ask questions about it. And uh, yeah, I've run into personalities in my professional life that I don't want to run into again. Mm -hmm. I would love to work with every single person again in that capacity hmm. from the circus. Mm -hmm. Wow. What would you say to someone who wants to be in the circus? How could they prepare? <laughs> be a four-year-old Jacob and go to the show? Yeah, get inspired. And once you've got inspired, take away the dreamy part and recognize the work that needs to go into it. Because that's a circus. That circus as an industry is impossible. You need to be so damn good. There are so few venues, and there are so there are so few outlets to be hired and to be paid. And those few outlets are going to be taken by the people who are the best. And there are plenty of people who are the best who have spent their entire lives, quite literally, honing this specific skill set. So if you're going to go into the circus, you need to be prepared to take yourself very, very seriously. You need, to be, you need to be prepared to count your losses, of which there will be many, or you need to be prepared to generate your own work, which a couple of my classmates have done very effectively and very successfully. But um, yeah, it's different. It's very different. The resources that you have to pull from are not as available as they are for us theater actors. We have you know, we have theater, we have film, we have television, voiceover, commercial, print, all of these avenues through which we can express ourselves and pull in an income. Circus people have only that. They can model, they can go commercial. So I guess that's like three or so different things, but it's, it's very limited. Mm -hmm. So the dedication and the patience that's required of inhabiting that industry is incredible. They're holding themselves to themselves to their own standards rather than anybody else because they have to be the best that they can be in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Next to that is dancers kind of doing the same thing. They work so hard <laughs> to be paid so little. And um, yeah, I was just talking about this with someone in Philly. Like it's every industry is hard but for me i'm so grateful that i'm an actor and not a person who is really really good at floor acrobatics like <laughs> you know and like that's it mm -hmm. i'm so happy that i've been able to flesh my life out in the way that i have mm -hmm. do you have any f last funny stories that you can remember from anything um one of the things I've always taken myself too seriously. Recently, that's sort of lessened a little bit. But um, Circus Smirkus was a great period of growth for me in terms of relaxing and being able to be comfortable in a social environment and not place so many expectations on myself. The performance happens in the ring, not around the cook table. Um, and one of the ways that... <laughs> This is going to sound terrible, but one of the ways that they relaxed me, they showed their love, was through little, little moments of hazing, just tiny little moments. So there was one evening when we were doing Tear Down, we were supposed to strike the trampoline onto a truck, this big, giant, commercial-sized trampoline. And I was getting very pissed off because no one was helping me roll this thing up the truck. It was just me and Rafi and everyone else was doing something else. So I screamed, all hands on trampoline for about the third time. 
And then Raffi screamed, all hands on Tischler. And the entire troop took that opportunity to run after me and tackle me to the ground. <laughs> this tradition continued site after site after site. I would run to the porta potty so that they could not come in after me and lock the door. That was the only safe space. And um, in blah, 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 Portland, Maine, I think there's a Portland, Maine. I'm pretty sure. I think so. Uh, where the L.L. Bean outlet is. Mm. Mm-hmm. All Hands on Tischler was called. I was in the truck when it happened. So immediately my eyes are out, scanning around. I see all of these circus people coming at me. And I'm, I'm, seeing my, I'm seeing my line. It goes straight to the woods. I'm like, all right, I can do this. I get out. I zigzag. I'm effectively nimble on my feet. Then suddenly my six-foot-six stage manager, Butka, He's Polish with long blonde hair. His arm is just there, gets me. I'm on the ground. I hear duct tape all around me. Oh Suddenly, God. I'm bound shoulder to toe in duct tape. <laughs> I'm hoisted aloft by my fellow troopers, carried into the center of the ring, where I hear a click clack around my ankles. And then my feet start rising <gasps> into the air. And very That's soon, Houdini. yep. I thought that they had, I thought they had duct taped my ankles together, and then put a carabiner around them, and strung me. They actually strung me by my feet, forty feet above the ring. Oh my god! Now anyone else's reaction would be, "Holy crap, that's horrifying." Yeah. But I promise you that if there was any moment that cemented their affection for me, within my odd introverted insecure exterior that was it like that was the moment where i finally felt the walls give way and be like oh these people are here for me i don't need well, you can to trust try. them and you can trust them well yeah i mean you are upside mm-hmm. down 40 feet right and the thought of course crossed my mind once where I was like, what if the duct tape breaks? Turns out they had put an actual ankle loop around me, so that was not going to happen. But I was never afraid. Because, man, circus people are smart. Accidents do not happen very frequently because they're so smart and they're so aware. Mm -hmm. So I'm up there. I've got all of the troopers below me taking pictures, laughing and screaming at me. And I'm like, this is very wholesome. Yeah, I can always tell when I finally got into someone when they share their food with me or cook for me. Oh. Yeah. Why is that? How? I feel like that is uh, something that came into being. At my work, I work with a lot of women from Nepal, and I'm building relationships with them when I first go to a location, but I always know that I have cemented that relationship when they share their food with me. Because they 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 only bring in food that they have prepared, and so when they share that with me, oh. I know like okay now we're friends. Oh, that's it's really so nice. sweet. Yeah, it's a great moment when I'm like, okay, we made it. Yep, we're there. Oh, that's good. It's really cute. Wait, where do you work? I work at a nail salon. Oh, cool. Yeah, I manage. You manage a nail salon. Mm-hmm. Things it's, I didn't it's know. It's very fancy. Yeah, I'm sure. Um. All right, and you compose. Uh-huh. You write, but you also compose. Yep. And w- I'm hoping to use one of your songs, if you'll allow it. I will allow it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Are any of your songs funny? Do you think they're comedic? Uh, I mean, yes, I've written comedic musical theater comedy before, but it takes it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Comedy's hard, mm-hmm. and writing musical comedy is even harder because you need to rhyme. <laughs> to rhyme imagine that you need to rhyme and you need to have a good conceit and the music itself needs to be interesting because so many musical theater writers get away with writing the same a melodic tune with clever lyrics inside of them mm-hmm. and i think that's because they forget about the actors an actor can do so much to bring a song forward and i think that's what i do occasionally when i'm writing comedic songs too but like the funniest song that you sing could be completely butchered by somebody else. Right. Right? That's the point. There's, there are very few fail-safe comedic songs. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but that's, not beca- that's because I'm not a theater geek. No, I can't really think of one. Yeah. Shy. What, what's that one? I've always been shy. I'll admit it. I'm shy. From Camelot. Uh, I don't like that show. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that. I don't know. But yeah, no, I agree. I mean, anybody can screw anything up. Yeah. So like, it's also hard to think of comedic scenarios. Like I wrote a hook one time called My Ex-Boyfriend left me his cat for a female singer. Love it. And the, the hook's great. And the song, I just feel like the song falls completely flat. Maybe we need to collaborate on it. Maybe we should. Yeah, I'll send it your way. Okay, good. You'll be like, Mike's boyfriend left me his cat. Ha, 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 ha. And then everything else will be silent. I sang it. Oh, God. What had happened? I had just, I think... I had just gotten back or was about to go to 39 steps and I auditioned for, um, who are the guys who, who directed Shrek at the barn? Vince Ortega. Yeah. And can't remember his name. Andrew. No. Oh God. Sorry. But I auditioned with that song, and I was already having a really, really bad day. I was having a bad day, well, so I audi- you couldn't have a drink. Yes, exactly sorry. right. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, but I auditioned with my ex-boyfriend left me his cat. This new song that I'd written, and I changed it to my ex-girlfriend left me her cat, which actually makes a little more sense. I feel right. I think so. Um, and there were no laughs, and I don't think I've ever died as many deaths as I did in that audition room that day. I left shaking. I was embarrassed. I was humiliated that I had just taken this new song and tried it out on these people. I was auditioning for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And the the lack of response in this personal song made me feel like the worst person in the world. That was the first time you sang it in front of people? That was the first time I sang it in front of people. Why did you do that? Because I did not have anything in this wheelhouse for rocky horror i thought this is maybe a funny song maybe i'll give it a shot unnecessary risk i didn't need to take and boy did i pay the price and then you got the text message what 
you're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was like, "You are going to pass." Uh, one year. <laughs> yeah. Pamela. Pamela. <laughs> Pamela. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Um. Yeah, because one of the things that I remember from our conversations is humor in like difficult situations. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And over the course of Saturday Night Fever, there were plenty of those. And one of the I remember one day, one of the best things that I learned was if you are feeling dumpy and stormy and mad, don't wait for someone to make you laugh. Utilize your energy to make someone else laugh. And that will help a lot. That is a great motto. Thanks. And I also like the words dumpy. Dumpy, stormy, stormy, and mad. I could have come up with something a little bit better than that. I love that. Dumpy, stormy. I don't think I'm good at that, but I should try to be better at it. Get back to me on that. See what happens. Because... Once you, here's what I think works about it. When you are stormy, when you're in the storm, as my brother and I lovingly call it, we get in the storm and there is no out. And everybody knows what that feels like. Something bad may or may not happen. And you'll wake up and it's just shit. You're just wading through shit. And if you try to make someone else laugh, you are taking the attention off yourself. You are putting it onto someone else. And... Hopefully, you're getting something positive in response. Mm -hmm. And I think you can surprise yourself that you can make someone laugh while you're feeling this crappy. Mm -hmm. I love it. Where can people find you? Oh, they can find me on Instagram. I'm at Yaycub, Y-A-Y-C-U-B dot Tischler on Instagram. And they can also visit my website, www.jacobtischler.com. What what about on Twitter? Is that terrible? Oh, don't even. Me either. Don't. No. I I don't have time for that. I know. I don't like Twitter. I don't like it. Sorry, Twitter. And I'm on Facebook, but there That's been, pretty easy. I've been receiving way too much unwanted attention recently. From whom? People who saw Saturday Night Fever. On your, in your other messages box? Uh, my other, my, yeah, my unread, what is it, message requests? Yeah. They are lining That's up. That's where I go when I'm having a bad day. That's where I, ugh, I hate it. It's it's a weird thing when you you do something that's like a little high profile. The Walnut Street Theater is a little high profile in Philadelphia, and people feel very familiar with the cast members. Mm-hmm. So they will they will come out and they will say all sorts of wonderful things, and then they'll get up on Facebook and say all sorts of more wonderful things. I had one lady. Um, she approached me after Saturday Night Fever and she was like, you were so good. You were so energetic. And what's best? You are paisano. Aww. I'm like, what? She goes, you're Italian. I said, no, I'm, I'm Jewish. Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> she said, oh, that's okay. You were like, no, that's my friend Chris. Pisano. Pisano. Literally. Well, what's Collins? Is that like Irish or something? Related to Phil Collins. Genesis. Bringing it all back. I can't dance. Thank you so much for sitting (laughs) down with me. 
My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. Good. I'm happy that I did not waste your time. That'll be up to you to decide, our listeners. <laughs> it's been another <laughs> episode of Survival of the Wittiest. I'm Teresa Clues. I didn't even know that was what it was called. That's great. Jacob. You know, they actually, they're disregarding Survival of the Fittest. They're saying it's not actually true anymore. Who makes the Thanks for listening. The music you heard on today's episode was composed by Jacob himself. Listen to more of his work at jacobtischler.com. You can follow me at Survival of the Wittiest on Instagram and Facebook and Teresa Clouse. I'll see you in two weeks. Bye.